good morning. It's good to see you and good to see you online. Hey, hey, do you have a word for the year? A lot of people do. You know, it's a word you pick that governs and guides your year, your priorities, your goals, and it, it informs and inspires intentionality. I asked my Facebook friends the other day if they had a word for the year. So many do, and they had great words, words like empower, words like renewal, presence, love, peace, joy. I really like Carrie Curry's word for the year. It's called others. And so inspired by the word of the year and a word to govern and guide and inspire and inform, I have a word for this sermon, okay? It's encourage, encourage. I love words, I love etymology, the history and evolution of words, and I found some really interesting things about the word encourage. The English word, you know this, just basically means to give support, to help, to give hope to someone. It involves words or actions on your part that allows someone to have hope and confidence. Now behind the English word is the Greek word parakaleo, which means to invite, to come alongside. Again, the idea of comforting, helping, supporting, strengthening. Involved in all that etymology is the idea of encourage is to put courage in someone's heart. The idea that you can have something in your heart that allows you to face something that's very threatening and very scary with no fear, with confidence. So if I take those two words in English and Greek and I put them together, I define encourage like this. It's to come alongside someone, to put courage in their heart so they can face danger, trouble, or trials, even death, without fear. They can face it with hope and confidence. Do you think anybody needs to be encouraged today? I think there's just an awful lot of discouragement in the world all the way from Ukraine to just what's happening in your own life and my life. And so we need encouragement. The opposite of encouragement is discouragement. And so I define that as being deprived of courage, being deprived of confidence, to lose hope, disheartened, dispiritedness. It means there's no longer courage in a person's heart. So encourage is like to take courage and put it in somebody's heart. To discourage is to take it out. We have some really good friends in Nashville, Tennessee, Earl and Rebecca Lavender. We've been friends with them since the early 80s when Earl and I were in graduate school together. Earl's a professor at Lipscomb now, and Rebecca's a retired school teacher. We just get a lot of wisdom from them. I get it from Earl, and Kedra gets it from Rebecca, and then I get it from Rebecca secondhand through Kedra, my wife. And a few years back, she said something to me that Rebecca said, and it was this, that discouragement is always of the devil. And I said, that's not right. And then I started thinking about it. I think that is right. Especially if you're talking about discouragement in the sense of taking away hope, taking away confidence, instilling fear as you look at the future. The idea of being disheartened and dispirited being fearful, I believe, is of the devil. You know, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7 talks of two gates that lead to two roads. One, one gate leads to the road of life, that leads to eternal life, and then the other road, which is easier to find, easier to follow, leads to death, eternal death, destruction, condemnation, damnation. One road leads to heaven, one road leads to hell, and this may not be a, 
a popular thing to say, but we're, we're on one of those roads today. You're either on the road to heaven or you're on the road to hell. And when it's all said and done, that's where I will be, that's where you will be, one of those two places. So I guess a good question to, to kind of contemplate as we have it running in the background is which road are you on today? Do you know? Are you sure? I will tell you this, that Jesus wants you to be on the road to life. He even prays that in John 17. He says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am so they can see, see this glory, experience this love. Well, we have the opposite. We have an adversary. We have an enemy. We have a force of evil we call Satan or the devil, and his destination, his destiny is hell, and he wants you there too. He wants me to be with him, to share in his misery for eternity, and he hates you about as much as God loves you. Now, there are lots of unknowns about heaven and hell, but we know enough to know that heaven is very desirable, and hell is not. We're wrapping up a men's class on Wednesday evenings upstairs, and this week will be the final week. It's been a really encouraging thing for me. It's been a collaborative community of learning uh, that's centered around how we think. And so one of the things we started early in the class was to say, it's just kind of a, a story to illustrate, is when you get up in the morning, Satan casts a vote against you, essentially saying, I hate you, I want you to fail today. God casts a vote for you saying, I love you and I want you to succeed today. And the thing is, we talked about, we cast the deciding vote. We determine how our day will go. We determine how our life will go by choosing which voice we're going to listen to, choosing what we think, choosing what we do. And this leads us into the idea of spiritual warfare because we have forces pulling us both ways. You know this, you feel it, you experience it. And so today we kind of talk about the supernatural. Ah, there's so much to say. There's good and evil pulling us both ways. Uh, one side seeking to encourage us, the other side seeking to discourage us. One's trying to keep us on the road to eternal life. One's trying to get us and keep us on the road to eternal condemnation. Strong forces that influence our lives more than we realize. And so Core 52 this week there's a lot of stuff in the book, a lot of stuff on the website. It's chapter 25. It's just full of good information. One of the things we decided as a teaching team early on that we weren't just gonna go over what's in the book. And so today is, is like that. And it's kind of a frustrating topic to talk about because there's just so much. And I just have to leave so much out today. But we're gonna settle on something that I hope will encourage you. And so what I wanna do is I wanna create an awareness about the supernatural that ends up in encouragement. So I want to encourage you, I want to encourage us, I want to put confidence in us, I want to put hope in us to face the world around us that is so super discouraging at times, to do so without fear. So where do we start? You'll probably think this is strange, but I'm gonna, I want to start in a cemetery, which is, some people would say it's the most discouraging place you could be. Well, maybe. I was in a cemetery recently for a graveside service down in Lawrence County, East Lawrence County, someplace I'd never been, Dixon Chapel, out in the middle of nowhere. And so there was a graveside service at one o'clock on Tuesday, about 10 or 11 days ago, and I got there early. The family and friends got there. They made their way down a little hill, 
and gathered around the gravesite. At one o'clock, I led a procession of pallbearers down to the gravesite and they handed the casket off to the cemetery worker and they put it on the rollers and pushed it eastward until it was positioned just right and then, then I spoke. Now what I find interesting, and I, I noted it again that day, is that people are buried facing east. Do you know that? I think that's true of every cemetery I've ever been in. It's true of every cemetery I know about. And do you know why people were buried facing east? It, it's because we believe when Jesus comes back, he'll come in the eastern sky based on something he says in Matthew chapter 24. And so when Jesus comes back at the second coming, there will be a bodily resurrection of all who are in their graves. And so they're buried facing east so they can witness this dramatic event as they rise. Now, can you imagine seeing that? Can you imagine standing on the west side of a cemetery when Jesus comes back? It'd just be amazing, wouldn't it? I, I imagine, based on what I read in Scripture, that, that the sky will explode with unimaginable light. There will be deafening sounds. Peter says in 2 Peter 3.10, there will be a terrible noise. And that same word is used to describe a huge roaring fire. Paul says there will be a commanding shout. The voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. The ground will shake and rumble, gravestones will crumble, graves will open and bodies will be put back together from ashes and dust and they will rise, they will rise. Do not be amazed at this for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. The Bible says a lot of things about supernatural things. And a lot of those things are gonna happen when Jesus comes again. And one of the biggest things, and this is super encouraging, Satan's influence and rule will end. It will finally end. He will be cast into hell for eternity. But before that happens, and you know this, he has a great deal of discouraging influence in our world and in our lives. And he's actively working against you. He's actively working against me. He's determined to destroy us. Satan is described in Matthew 9 as the prince of demons. He's described in Matthew 12 as the ruler of demons. Paul calls him the commander of the powers in the unseen world in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul calls him the God of this age in 2 Corinthians 4. Just so many references to Satan, so many references to his demons, those who follow him, those who are on his team, their unseen, willing helpers that are working actively to discourage you, discourage me. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Well, I know some people think that's really weird stuff. Well, maybe, but... It's real, it's real. There are things, supernatural things going on around us that we cannot see. Satan is slick, he's smooth, he's insidious. Paul says he masquerades as an angel of light in 2 Corinthians 11. He surrounds himself with demons and willing helpers and there's just so much to say that it's frustrating. 
I, there's, I just can't say all the stuff that I'd like to say today, which is true of every week. I know Sean has the same problem. I just want to encourage you today. Okay? I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you that while Satan has power in this world, it's limited and it's temporary. He does not have the power God has, but I, I, I will tell you that he does have a lot of power. He's a powerful force to be recognized, reckoned with, aware of, and he wants to discourage you. He wants to take courage out of your heart. He wants you to lose hope. He wants you to lose confidence, and he's really, really good at what he does, and he will use whoever, whatever to accomplish it. Let's go back to the cemetery. There's a day coming, the second coming of Jesus, when all of Satan's work finally ends. And if we're standing in a cemetery on that day, we will witness it. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul talks about the curse of death, which is so discouraging. Satan uses it for that purpose. And how Jesus came the first time to reverse that curse. And when Jesus comes again, he will destroy death fully and finally. Then the end will come, Paul says. When he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And then a little bit later down in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We'll not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. When this happens at the second coming of Jesus, life as we know it will be no more. And there will be no more death, mourning, or pain. What a glorious, glorious day that will be. And when Jesus comes, we'll be changed and we'll receive our new bodies. Paul says in Philippians 3.21, we'll have a glorious body like the resurrected body of Jesus. In the meantime, in these bodies, these fleshly bodies, we're experiencing the supernatural. We're being pulled this way, we're being pulled that way. We're caught between encouragement and discouragement. It's a battle. Now, we need to put this in perspective. The war has been won. Jesus defeated Satan on the cross. But there's still battles for our souls. It's like Satan thought he'd won on Friday. He looked at Jesus dead. He thought, yes! And they, they had a big celebration with demons, smoking cigars and drinking and high-fiving. And then Sunday came. And it was like, oh, no. But you see, Satan is so angry because he lost that opportunity to kill Jesus, to kill the work of God. He lost the war. So now, Revelation 12 says, he's coming after you. He's coming after me. He wants to destroy those who follow Jesus. We feel it. And we wonder about it at times. Why is it just so difficult to, to live right? Why is it so difficult to do the right things? Why is it so easy to miss the mark and sin? Why is it so easy to get discouraged? 
There's a wonderful book I can't recommend enough, Live No Lies by John Mark Comer. In it, he talks about why we struggle. And he says there are three things that really wage war against our desire to live for God. The three things are our flesh. You know that we inherit a fallen nature from Adam. We know from experience that we have tendencies and propensities and desires to to please ourselves and rebel against God in doing so. Well, Satan knows that, and he comes alongside us, and he says, yeah, why not? I mean, hey, who's gonna know? What's the harm? Life is short. You should be happy. If it feels good, then do it. And on and on he goes. And as he appeals to our flesh, he then points to the world or the culture which normalizes sin, which makes sin attractive and acceptable. And he says, hey, look, look, everybody else is doing it. Everybody else thinks that way. Everybody acts that way. Everybody believes that. So why, come on, why are you hanging on to your old-fashioned, narrow-minded, judgmental, no-fun, fear-filled ways? And I don't know about you, but I'll confess At times, I experience that and go, why not? Why not? Why not say it? Why not do it? And I fall, and I fail, and I sin. And falling and failing this way is so discouraging if we're trying to live for God. And that's exactly what Satan and his team wants to do. And he just uses it against us again and again. But thank God for his loving mercy and his grace when we fail. We're not powerless. And so we get up and we dust ourselves off and we remember that we have a loving God who provides forgiveness and mercy and encourages us to get up, move forward with hope and confidence. You're gonna be okay Face what's in front of you courageously, even your own frailty, even your own failings and failures. Now, Satan says, now, wait a minute, don't you remember that other time? And he starts flashing all these videos. Watch this one, watch this, just listen to that. Remember when you said those things? And so there's this battle going on and we hear Jesus say, I understand, I understand. Now, I forgive you, get up, get up, get up, get up and go. I put hope in your heart along with confidence. Don't be afraid. And it's helpful to remember that we have the same power that raised Jesus from the dead living within us. Paul says in Romans 8, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus from the dead, he'll give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit who's living in you. Lots of things to say about the spirit of God. Obviously, supernatural And he's a personal force for good for us, within us. John 14, 15, 16, Jesus preparing his closest followers for his departure, for his death, and he speaks a lot about the Spirit of God. And do you remember how he opens that section? Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I'm going to prepare a place, and and I want you to be with me. I want you to be where I am. And then he starts unpacking the idea of the Spirit of God. And he uses... Words, depending on the translation, words like this for the Greek word, advocate, counselor, helper, comforter. And here's the, here's the interesting thing. He's just basically saying, look, you're going to have a, a presence in you that's going to make it possible to still live in a victorious way. Now, what's interesting to me is the same 
word from which we get encouragement is the word that Jesus is using here for the spirit of God, the helper, the counselor, the advocate. And so here's what I see, and you probably see it too. When we receive the spirit of God, we receive supernatural encouragement. He comes alongside us, moves in to provide courage in our hearts to face danger, trials, trouble, even death, especially death, without fear. We can face all of that and more with hope and confidence, even what's going on in the world, even what's going on in our lives. Now, you remember part of the etymology of discourage is dispiritedness. So a little bit of wordplay, when we receive the Spirit, it's inspiritedness. I receive the Spirit at my baptism, Acts 2.38, and it's a supernatural reality that allows me to move forward with hope and confidence without fear into a glorious future. Go back to cemetery one last time. In the first century after Jesus ascends to heaven, uh, the people thought he was going to come back really soon, maybe like in a couple weeks, I don't know. But they thought he would come back soon. And so what happens is Christians are starting to die and they're really concerned. It's like, oh, what happens to these people who've died? Jesus hasn't come back yet. And so Paul addresses that in 1 Thessalonians 4. And I imagine he's standing in a cemetery. He says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. So you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living, when the Lord returns, will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, first... The believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then, we will be with the Lord forever. So, encourage each other with these words. Encourage each other with these words. Some people say, well, I wonder what the, the commanding shout is. Some people say it may be two words, and those two words are no more, based on what's said in, in Revelation 21, 4, where God wipes away the last tears, and then he says there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain, for all those things are passed away. You know, uh, Brad Pontius' mother died last Sunday morning, I think at 11 o'clock. Well, I knew Brad was with his mother, uh, and on Saturday I called him about something, and when uh, I heard the phone pick up, all I could hear was harp music. I thought, well, did his mom die and he go with her? That's supposed to be funny. <laughs> and, and Brad said, oh, I'm sorry. I, and I told him, I said, I thought you'd gone with her. He said, no, he said, our family's very musical and we've surrounded her with music for the last 48 hours, for the last 48 hours of her life. They just played hymns and all this beautiful stuff. And he said, on Sunday morning, yet again, they were singing and playing Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. And he said, they got to the very first verse and she died. 
coming forward to carry me home. She got on the chariot and took off. You know, I just thought that was so encouraging because it's a picture of people who are grieving, yes, but they have hope, they have confidence, no fear for the future. They were encouraged and encourage us. Well, you can see why I like Carrie Curry's word of the year, others, because it goes hand in hand, sometimes literally, with the word encourage. Over and over in scripture, we're told to encourage each other. We need to do that. And here's the thing I want to encourage you about what's going on in your life right now. If through the power of the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, we can face death with hope and confidence and without fear, then we can face anything and everything with hope and confidence. We can back that encouragement back into our daily battles and struggles. George Bernard Shaw said, you should dance with the skeletons in your closet. Learn their names so you can ask them to leave. Someone else said, and this is even better, have coffee with your demons. Ask them important questions like, what keeps you here? Learn what doors they keep finding open and kick them out. You can do so with hope. You can do so with confidence. You can do so without fear. So many people are on the road to destruction today. So many people are discouraged. It's our task as followers of Christ who are encouraged to go out and find these people and share with them the road to life. And so we're gonna, we're gonna have a real concentrated effort going forward to be able to equip everybody to do that, to share your faith, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're gonna start on March 27th, three-week class that will equip you to do that. I wanna encourage you with two more things before I challenge you a little bit. Number one, just remember this. The spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. And the second one are the words of Jesus as he ends that section about the spirit of God. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. So to the dis heartened to the discouraged Jesus says take heart take heart one last thing and I hope you understand why I'm asking which road are you on this morning if life were to end as you know it and it Jesus could come back any second nobody knows my life could end before this day is over I just don't know. So if life were to end as you know it, where would you be? Heaven or hell? I don't want you to leave today until you know, and I want to make sure you're on the road of life. Do you need to be baptized? Do you need to to get back on the road if you've fallen off? I want to encourage you with the full meaning of that word to make sure that you're on the right road today. So if you can reach out to us, if we can reach out to you, whatever it takes, there'll be people around the room to help you this morning. So I'd like for you to stand at this time. Quentin's gonna lead us a little more. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org slash messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.